Well, good morning, church family. Glad to see you here today. You know, this is the Sunday that we all think about resetting our clocks. I'm just curious, how many of you have already reset all of the clocks in your house? And that would be your stove, your microwave, your radio, uh, your car, your truck. How many of you have already got all your clocks reset? Raise your hand. Hold it up. Hold, don't be ashamed. All right, look around. These are the people who don't have any fun in life. They can't rest till they get everything reset. How many of you are more like me? It's like, I just leave it the way it is. When we spring forward, I'll be on time. Right? Yeah, absolutely. We live in a world where things have to be reset on a regular basis. Uh, especially electronic things, video games, computers, your modem or router, your, your telephone, uh, your, your cell phone. <clears throat> and lots of times, those reset buttons on the electronics is a little bit hard to find because if you push that reset button, what that does is it resets the device's settings back to the manufacturer's original settings. In other words, something's not working the way it should, and so the way to fix that is to push reset Go back to the manufacturer's original settings. Well, today, that's kind of what I hope we do. Today, I want to start a new series on the church called Reset. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word church, but it's probably a far cry from what the people in the first church thought about when they heard the word. You see, from the very beginning, the church was a movement a movement built around the conviction that Jesus Christ died as the only Savior for, for sins, that God raised Him from the dead, and that people everywhere can have a new life in Jesus Christ by inviting Him into their lives as their Savior and as their Lord. So, the church started as this movement. The church started with this conviction. The church started with this message and with this mission. Like the electronics in your house, if you're not careful, eventually things can get clogged up. Eventually our thinking can get a little clogged up, and, and sure enough, our thinking sometimes moves, it transitions away from a movement to a location. We begin to think of church in terms of a place we attend. We begin to think of church in terms of a location something we go to. And I just want to say to you as clearly as I can, when church becomes a place where you attend, it's time to set the reset button and change the way we think about church. So I want to go to the Scripture with you and I want to walk through some very familiar Scriptures. And I basically want to tell you a story as we look at the Scriptures together. Start out in one that you know very well in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? I love Caesarea Philippi. If you go to Israel, 
uh, with us sometime. You'll get to go there. And, and he says, basically, guys, I'd like to know, what are people saying? I know there's a lot of talk out there about me, but what are people saying about me? What's, what, do you, what are you hearing out there? And they replied, verse 14, some say that you're John the Baptist, others that you're Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then in verse 16, Simon Peter answered, Simon said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's underlined, that's highlighted in my Bible. I would suggest you do that in your Bible as well. Here's who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Savior of the world. Jesus replied, blessed are you, verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And he says in verse 18, notice what he says in verse 18, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, the rock of what you've just said, the the bedrock of this statement that you've made, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on this rock, this conviction that you have just stated, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Please notice Jesus said, there will be spiritual opposition to this truth, Peter. Peter, this truth that God has given you, there's going to be spiritual opposition. There will be those who will try to stop what you're talking about. But it will be impossible for them to stop. And sure enough, year after year, generations have come and generations have gone, but the concept of the church has continued. The message and the mission of the church has continued. Because the church was born as a movement of God's people built around a supernatural message, given a supernatural mission. And Jesus said, and I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will try to stop it, but they will not be successful. Now, please understand this, and I know you know it, but I want to underline it in your thinking. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was not talking about a building. He was not talking about a place. When he said, I will build my church. Now, fast forward. Not long after Jesus said these words, he was crucified. Three days later, you know that God raised him from the dead. And then the Bible says that he spent period of about 40 days with his followers. And after that 40 days, he gathered them on the hillside, the Mount of Olives, he gathered them on the hillside overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he gave them some final instructions. And let's look at these instructions in Acts chapter 1. Go over to the right and find Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, that is, during the spirit of 40 days, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now here's what was happening. Listen to this. Jesus had given them a message and a mission. He's going to talk about it in verse 8. The message and the mission was, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. This statement, this life-changing statement is going to be their marching orders. To share this life-changing statement with the world, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
You're the Savior of the world. But he says, but I want you to wait. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the Holy Spirit because you're going to need more than what you can do. You're going to need a power you don't have. You're going to need a strength that you don't have. You're going to need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to help you accomplish this mission and this message. Because listen to me, church, never, never, never did it enter into Jesus' mind that the church would be a place where you attend. The church was a gathering of people, and ecclesia is the Greek word. Ecclesia simply means a gathering of people, a gathering of people who gather around an idea, a group of people who gather around an idea. What's the idea? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Savior of the world. And this gathering of people had a message, and they had a mission, and they didn't have a place. They didn't have a building. He said, I want you to wait till the Holy Spirit comes on you because you're not going to be able to accomplish this on your own. Verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's what you need. You need power. And And you will what, church? Say it louder. All right, he said, now this is your role. You're going to be my witnesses. And here's where you will be my witnesses. Notice the different places. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In other words, this movement will touch every single part of the world. He's talking about a movement here. You will be my witnesses. This is your... This is your assignment. It's a movement. And it's a movement that will touch every single part of the world. And guess what? It's exactly what happened. Here's how it unfolded. About two weeks later, they were in Jerusalem. They were there for the Jewish harvest festival called Pentecost. There were Jewish people there from all over the world and Jewish... uh, people who were converts to Judaism, they had gathered in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. There were groups of people from at least 12 different regions from around the world. And we'll go to Acts chapter 2 and see what happens. Remember now, Jesus said, I'm going to send you on this mission. I'm going to give you this message, but wait till you receive the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, where the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on, watch this, each one of them. You know why it came to rest on each one of them? It's because each one of them was given this message. Each one of them was given this mission. Each one of them was to be a part of this movement. So it came to rest on each one of them. All, verse 4, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now don't get misled by this, this statement here, they spoke in other tongues. It's not talking about gibberish. It's talking about they, they were enabled to speak a language they had not studied before. Oh, I wish that would happen today. I would so like to speak Spanish. 
I really would. I'd, I'd love to be able to speak Spanish. I, I, don't, I know hola, and after hola, they start talking back to me, and I don't know what in the world's going on. Hola is as far, hola and sin queso. No cheese. That's, that's the extent of my Spanish. But here's what happened. Suddenly, these people who were part of this movement, these new believers, this church, this ecclesia, suddenly they began to speak a language they had not studied before. How do you know that? Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. There it is. They were speaking gibberish. They were speaking foreign languages. Utterly amazed, verse 7. Utterly amazed, they ask, are, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and the converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Suddenly, this ecclesia, this church, this gathering of God's people, suddenly they were doing exactly what Jesus said that they would do. They were being His witnesses. They were being His witnesses to the entire world who had gathered in Jerusalem. You see, you need to understand something. I'm going to say it again and again throughout this message. Church in the first church was not a place. It was a people. The first church was not a meeting place. It was a movement. Suddenly, these people in Jerusalem heard the gospel because, because the first Christians didn't just go to church. But these first Christians were part of a movement of sharing the message and the mission of God. Peter decided, when they said, what does this mean? Peter decided to preach the first ever sermon. And he does a pretty good job. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. For sake of time, skip down to verse 22. We'll look at what he says in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter's basically recalling some very, very recent history. You see, you need to understand this was only about two months after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Peter is speaking to this group of people in the very city where Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected. About two months after the event happened, 
So when he says the name Jesus, the people he was talking to, they knew exactly who he was talking about. And when, they, when he said, but God raised him from the dead, they knew exactly what he was talking about. So skip down to verse 32. God raised this Jesus, the one you know about. Some of you have been over to his empty tomb. Some of you were there when he was crucified. Some of you have heard the stories. God has raised this Jesus to life. And here he says it. And we are all witnesses of the fact. I love that. We are witnesses of the fact. And the people, watch this. The people were standing there going, that's right. That's right. I, I, I've been over to the tomb. I've seen, it's empty. It's a fact. That's right. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then in verse 36, He makes His point. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, and a hush must have fallen over the people. And eventually, somebody cries out in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, verse 38, Go to church. No. No. That wouldn't have made sense to them, would it? Go to church? What's a church? And where is it? There weren't any. They said, what shall we do? Peter replied, verse 38, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Get ready. Verse 39, The promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are what, church? Far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise, he says, is for everyone who are far off from God. You know who it is that's far off from God? You know who that includes? Everyone. We're all far off from God. So if you've got a granddaughter or a grandson and they're far off from God, do you understand this message is for them? If you've got a mom or a dad and they are far off from God, do you understand this message is for them? If you've got a co-worker and man, they're really out there and they are really far off from God, do you understand this message is for them? You see, we've been given a message and we've been given a mission and God help us if we're content to simply come to church on Sunday mornings to a building. You need to push the reset button. Go back to what the first church was doing. And maybe do that as well. Now don't miss this. This, this is so good. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them he was a preacher, wasn't he? With many other words. He, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And now, look at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people who are in the very city where Jesus was crucified. 3,000 people who have heard the story that he was raised from the dead. 3,000 people said, we believe. We believe. We hear the message you're sharing. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We believe. 3,000 people. You see, you need to understand something. The church went from a a small group of 100 to 120. Peter preaches a message. He gives the invitation. And all of a sudden, 3,000 people stood up and said, we believe. So now this gathering, this ecclesia, this gathering of God's people gathered around this idea that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. This gathering of people now suddenly swells from 100 or 120 all the way to 3,120. Now sometimes people say, I don't like a big church. Well, you wouldn't have liked the first church. Well, I don't know everybody's name. You wouldn't have known everybody's name. And it didn't stop there. Let me show you this. This, We're not going to have time to talk about it, but we can at least read about it. Chapter 5, verse 14. No, 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 no. Chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about how many? 5,000. So now this church of 3,000 has suddenly become a church of 5,000. And that's just counting the men. Chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women, it's not just men now, now we're talking about men and women, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Just more and more, he says, were added to their number. Chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, what's that next word? Rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We don't know how many. He just says it was a large number, and it was growing rapidly. Chapter 9, verse 31. Chapter 9, verse 31. Just a couple more references. Chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. It just says it grew in numbers. It continued to grow. Let's go to the last one. Chapter 16, verse 5. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now understand, you, you might say, I don't like a big church, but I'm going to tell you something. The first church was a big deal. First church was a big church. And oh, by the way, if you don't like a big church, I don't know if you're going to like heaven. It's a pretty big place. You read Revelation? There's a lot of people going to be there. And you're not going to know everybody's name. But just get this in your mind. Because the first church was not about a building, 
How, because the first church understood it's not, a, it's not just a place you go to, but when the first church understood we've got a mission and we've got a message, thousands of people, thousands of people said we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. church was born. This thing that Jesus had told the disciples about in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, we said, Peter, you're right. That statement you just made, I'm going to, that's going to be the bedrock of the church that I build. You're right, Peter. And what he predicted in Matthew 16 was born right there. The pages of Acts. Guess what? 2,000 years later, here we are. 2,000 years later, the church is still growing. Now, <clears throat> what do we have in common with the first church? Absolutely. Let me say it to you this way. We too believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Would you say amen to that? We too believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We believe that He has risen from the dead. Would you say amen to that? We believe that His death paid for the sins of the entire world. Would you agree with that? Then that message needs to be our mission. It's time to push the reset button. I say church is more than a place I go to. Church is something I'm a part of. I'm a part of a mission and a message and a movement. You see, at the first church, at the first church, church wasn't about a building because there wasn't one. And church wasn't for church people because there weren't any. The first Christian's church was a movement they're a part of. So I want to give you three statements of clarification and application, and then we're going to be done. These won't take long, but just three statements of clarification and application. Here's the first one, which is very, very important. <clears throat> we need to rethink how we do church, but we don't need to abandon it. I'll explain that one. We need to rethink how we do church, but we don't need to abandon it. Just this week, I was reading someone, and he said, basically, that we no longer need the organized church. That in order to be really spiritual, we don't need the organized church. We don't need a building. We don't need what we have. We don't need budgets and all. We just need to get back to where it was, there was no organized building or structure, and then we'll be spiritual again. I want to tell you something. Listen, that is foreign to the pages of Scripture. What I see in Scripture is that we do need one another. There's nothing wrong with having a place. There is nothing wrong with having a building. The problem is when we think that coming to the building is all God asks of us. That's when it becomes a problem. There's nothing wrong with having a beautiful facility. But when you begin to think of church as simply, I've done my duty because I went to church today, then that's when you have a problem. So we need to reset how we think about church, but we don't need to abandon it. We need the church more than any other time I've ever seen. We need one another. 
Number two, we never want to become just a Christian ministry that takes care of people's needs in a place where you attend. That's just application, just a statement. We never want to become just a place where we meet needs in a place where you attend. That's why we signed a covenant last Sunday night to help a dying church in Nashville, Tennessee. Because we want to say we are people who have a message and we are people who have a mission. We refuse to be a place where you just come and attend. That's why we we have a GO team in Southeast Asia this very morning. Because we don't want to be a place where you just come and attend on Sunday morning. We want to be about the message and the mission that the Lord Jesus has given us. That's why we are planting churches in Boston and in Cleveland. That's why we do so many of the things that we're doing. is Because we're trying to be that kind of church that says, let's be about the message of Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. Let's be about the mission of sharing that with others. Let's not just be a place where we're content to come on Sunday mornings. I think we've done God's will by attending a building. I don't know about you. I don't want to attend a building. I want to be part of a movement of God. Which brings me to number three. We have a mission and a message that we must share more. We have a mission and a message that we must share more. We Just imagine if we would reset, we'd push that reset button, change the way that we think about church, more of a movement, less of a meeting, more of a mission, less of a place to attend. If we were to push that reset button and change the way we think about church, you imagine what God could do in this place. Imagine what God could do in this building if we said from now on, we'll see ourselves as a gathering of God's people who have a message given to us by God and a mission given to us by God and we'll do whatever we can to help people come to know God. Those who are far off from God will be our target. Those who are far off from God will be the ones we're trying to reach. You see, I believe the sacrifice of Jesus and the lostness of the world demand that we do no less than that. The sacrifice of Jesus and the lostness of the world should cause us all to say, we've got to be about the message. We've got to be about the mission. We can't be content just to come and sit on Sunday mornings in a building. Because Jesus Christ really did die for the sins of the world. He really is the Savior of the world. What an incredible message. Why not share that? And so, would you pray for our church that we'll do that? This is my application. Would you, would you just start praying every day this week? Can I give you some homework every day this week? Would you pray that we'd, we'd just push that reset button? Or maybe you need to pray this. God, would you help me to reset how I think about church? Would you help me so that church is less a place I attend and it's more about something I'm a part of? Would you pray about that every day? Would you pray for your church that God would use us. And would you maybe join us on Wednesday nights? This Wednesday night, I'm teaching, and I'm teaching, Lord willing, on how to share your faith. And we'll give you two different ways that you can share your faith so that you can be part of that, that mission, so that you'll have a message you know how to share. Would you join us on Wednesday night? 
let's just try to figure out how, how do we do this? How do we make church more than just the place we attend? How do we become part of the movement Jesus intended us to do? Way back there. And then finally, would you invite someone to church next week? When was the last time you invited somebody? I invited somebody on Friday. When's the last time you invited somebody to come to church with you? When's the last time somebody sat beside you because of your personal invitation? You said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought church is not a place we attend. No, it is a place you attend, but you need to have an outward focus. And so inviting people to come with you to church is one way to have that outward focus. It's one way to be about the message it's one way to be about the mission. Not the only way, but it's one way and a very good place to start. Let us be partners together in the mission of sharing Christ. You bring them, I'll share the gospel. You bring them, I'll share the gospel. You bring them, I'll share the gospel. And then, then you can talk to them and say, what do you think about what the pastor said? Any questions about what the pastor talked about today? That's when we're part of the movement. I close with something I heard somebody say this week. I don't know who said it, but I, somebody quoted it. It's profound. Are you ready? It's profound. You ready? Movements move. So if you're not moving, are you really a movement? Father, in the name of Jesus. We are grateful for what you've done to make salvation possible. We're grateful for what you've done to give us such an incredible message that anyone who is far off from God can have forgiveness of sins in a relationship with you. And I pray, first of all, for somebody here today, and, and they need that. They've never experienced that. They want that. I pray you'll give them the courage today to come during this song and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, then for all of us who claim Christ as Savior, may we be part of that mission. May we be part of the movement. May we not be content to simply go to church on Sundays. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.